Hey, this is John Jameson. If this is the first time you've joined us on the podcast, thank you and welcome. We really appreciate it. Let us know your aha moments and while you're at it, we'd like you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. The Altcoin Sidekick podcast is available on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean and Stitcher. So please leave a review and don't be scared of making it five stars. We'll keep the great content coming to help you on your journey into the cryptocurrency markets. War is the father of all things, said Greek philosopher Heraclitus. This is John Jameson for altcoinsidekick.com, and this week, as Bitcoin's parabolic trend continues, as the crowd cheers, congratulating themselves as their expectations about the future grow, with their all-time highs back in their crosshairs, let's talk about change. What is more likely to drive cryptocurrencies over the next decade? Will it be new technology, or will it be a crisis? All markets, including cryptocurrencies, exhibit the telltale signs left behind on the tape, like so many bedding slips adorned after the aftermath of the Grand National. Only with cryptocurrencies, it's not paper floating through the breeze, but prices recorded in a ledger. And the price data, when viewed historically uh, on a chart, shows that no matter if it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or the Euro or Ripple, publicly traded instruments move through time in only one of three ways. And the least stable of all is the parabolic trend. When demand is greater than supply, prices rise as sellers offering their holdings for sale at higher prices, and new buyers must compete with each other to get their orders filled. As this behaviour causes them to outbid each other, absorbing all the infantry that's available, and this causes higher prices. So the greater the imbalance, the faster prices move through time. Now imagine a square. Imagine a 45 degree angle moving across the square from the lower left corner to the upper right. The 45 degree line represents a stable trend of up one and over one. Now when trending normally, prices move up and then they counter trend down, printing lows on top of previous highs. But when demand overwhelms supply, price doesn't follow the 45 degree line. Instead, it follows a path that's traveling at a faster velocity, up two over one, or sometimes even faster. Now, if you've ever played with bricks or playing cards and built a tower higher and higher, you'll see that as the structure goes higher, the greater the need for a stable base. Now, when a parabolic move uh, goes vertical, if that the base the structure is built on is faulty, then expect the tower to fall. Now, parabolic moves don't last long, and typically, when they end, prices will do one of two things. They'll either move sideways and wait for the trend to normalize and wait for the 45 degree angle to catch up with price, or the price will aggressively sell off back down to meet the rising 45 degree line. Now note these angles aren't GAN angles, rather it's just a way of explaining the residue left behind after the race has ended. As Bitcoin moves higher, ask yourself who is doing the new buying at parabolic highs. Is it the 5%, the most consistent group of speculators and investors, or the 95% majority who want in at any price, reacting to next stop moon bullish articles? The point is, Bitcoin could go to the moon, but on the way, there will be high probability, low risk areas of entry, and there will be low probability, high risk areas of entry. The point is this, the 5% enter at the former. If cryptocurrencies are to trade back to their December 2017 prices, 
what's going to drive the new demand? Is it more likely to be new experimental bolt-on tech, understandable to a small number of people, or could the driver be more traditional? According to the OECD, corporate debt is currently around $13 trillion, double the $6 trillion held by corporations in 2008. In January 2018, the International Monetary Fund reported that the global debt to GDP ratio was 318%, and it's not just government debt, corporate debt's at record highs too, accounting for 92% of GDP. And since 2008, government debt's risen by 75%, household debt by 30%, and the finance sector debt is up from 2008 levels too. So what's debt got to do with cryptocurrencies? Well, the 95%, influenced by magazine articles, either buy or stay away, rarely complicating the short side of a market. And this shows that the news, dished out to the masses, is a mechanism of distraction, especially so when it relates to financial markets. It's a sleight of hand typically running articles on things like the stock market, focusing on levels of the Dow Jones Industrials, cheering when the Dow makes new all-time highs. The problem is that these articles and the the media news timing is rarely correct, Uh, just like the classic Death of Equities headline in 1979, written just after a major low in equities and just before the beginning of the biggest bull market ever. Now, most people invest through ETFs, mutual funds, and retirement plans. Some even invest their own capital uh, from using their own personal brokerage accounts. But the majority who buy and sell shares analyze just the sales and net profit figures to calculate future earnings potential. And it's no secret that the US stock markets made all-time highs in April 2019. But very few take the time to peel back the veneer of top-line earnings and dig a little deeper. Since the 2008 financial crisis, companies have used the environment of cheap debt brought about by rising bond prices to buy back their shares. When a company buys back its shares, it reduces the number of shares in the float, and this in turn amplifies the earnings figures, which are then used to provide valuations, which are then used to attract new investors, and around the positive feedback loop we go. How many shares have companies been buying? The stock market rally of the last decade looks and feels real, but the amount of shares repurchased by corporations is one of the hidden drivers behind stock market price levels. Between 2008 and 2012, companies bought back around $200 billion of stock, but in 2013, they doubled their buyback activities. And last year, US corporations bought back just under $800 billion of stock. Now, money flows into the stock market were helped by making the main competitor for money inflows, that's the global bond market, unattractive to investors. With quantitative easing, demand for bonds was absorbed, driving prices higher. And as the price for bonds went higher, it drove the yields lower. So in their search for yield, investment professionals were forced into the stock market. Now, when combined with corporations having access to cheap money via lower yields and professional money being driven into stocks, Due to the unattractiveness of the alternatives, things like the bond market, the stock market soared. Yes, the stock market made new all-time highs in 2019, but at what cost? While on the surface stock prices are higher, the total underlying money made by these companies that make up the indexes hasn't increased that much, if at all. But what has increased are the multiples. Yes, the earnings per share have increased because the number of shares in existence has gone down but the total amount of money generated by these companies 
has not gone anywhere. And what this is, is financial engineering, and it's an example of that. So it's a mirage. It means that the economy hasn't got more valuable, and it means that stock prices have been engineered higher by printing more money and creating new debt. Now, the problem is that this isn't sustainable. Uh, in the short term, uh, by buying back their own stock, companies can provide extremely high levels of returns in the forms of dividends and share buybacks. On the 24th of April 2019, Microsoft made a new all-time high of $131. But what was behind the move? While the majority look at the headline number of sales, profit margin and net income, concentrating their analysis efforts only on the income statement, the uh, minority, the 5%, look at the cash flow statement and the balance sheet. Now, while the investment mantra for the masses is sales and income, the 5% look at a company's cash flow statement. The main difference between what's stated on the income statement and the cash flow statement should be depreciation. And the analysis of the cash flow statement is used as a quick and effective simple check on the numbers presented. It's on the cash flow statement where you'll find the amount of money a company is paying investors to hold their stock. This year, Microsoft are paying back $13.5 billion in dividends and $17.2 billion in common stock repurchases. That's $30.7 billion back to shareholders. But here's the thing. If you look on the income statement, Microsoft made around $79.9 billion in gross profit. And this means that this year, Microsoft will be paying back 38.4% of its gross profits to investors. One thing to check is how Microsoft is able to pay out such a large percentage of its gross profit. And this information is found on the balance sheet. And you look at long-term debt and total liabilities. And it's here that the 5% will find their answer. Microsoft increased it has increased its debt substantially since 2014, increasing the total long-term liabilities by 218%. Now, currently, Microsoft debt, Microsoft's debt is higher than its shareholders' equity. And in other words, technically, Microsoft is now a debt-leveraged company. Microsoft is an example of a great company going into debt to buy back its shares, but many other companies who are not in the position of Microsoft and are not a moat-owning business like Microsoft are also buying back their shares too. Now, share buybacks are the main driver behind Microsoft's new uh, high share price. And the point is that information spoon-fed to investors in stocks and other assets like cryptocurrencies is often a little more than a distraction. The 95% look only at the surface, but the 5% dig a little deeper. On the surface, everything looks good with the stock market at near all-time highs. But the underlying thing is that all-time highs are there because of a record amount of corporate debt. Now, the mainstream news tells the 95% that banks are better capitalized than they were in 2008 and that banks are much more resilient against external panics and shocks. And whilst that's true, the rest of corporate America is more highly geared and leveraged than ever before. Instead of business putting capital to work, increasing the value of their businesses, that instead corporations are buying back shares at ever increasing prices. And in 2019, the world is drowning in debt. The headline news is that mortgage debt is lower than in 2008, but every other sector has much higher levels of debt. Things like auto loans and student loans are at record highs. And now the stock market has rallied. Um, it's hitting the news. Individual investors are coming back in, taking positions near record highs, not with their own cash, but with margin or borrowed funds. 
In previous articles, podcasts, and videos, we've talked about using the price cycle and the hype cycle as tools to guesstimate the most likely location of cryptocurrencies within the cycle. The availability of credit also moves within cycles. And whilst the price cycle gives clues to the expected price action, and the hype cycle provides feedback on the behavior pattern demographics, the credit cycle allows insight into the availability of future funds. So like the price and hype cycle, the credit cycle is not suitable as a short-term timing tool. Instead, the credit cycle can show periods where new buying funds will be in short supply. There has been a massive increase in government debt pushing economies forward and at the same time offsetting levels of corporation tax, which is allowing economies to grind ahead in the short term. But in the longer term, rising stock prices, share buybacks and increasing levels of debt are not sustainable. The economy has had a shot in the arm from the fiscal stimulus of low borrowing costs and the lowering of corporate taxes, but it's been engineered. Yes, the stock market looks healthy, but all isn't what it seems. Now you might be thinking, so what? And you might also be wondering, what has all this got to do with cryptocurrencies? While most are familiar with the stock market and the concept of private stock ownership, fewer still understand the real source of power in the, in the 21st century, and that is the bond market. Of all our achievements, three inventions make up the world that we recognize today, and that is banking, the debt market or bond market, and the stock market. During the Italian Renaissance in the 14th and 15th century, the city-states of Florence, Pisa and Siena were at war. Now, rather than fight the battles using their own citizens, the city-states paid for outside contractors to fight the wars for them. The only question was, how could the city-states raise the money to pay for their contract armies? There was a limit to the amount of money available. Uh, so to bankroll an army so that it could annex land from a neighbouring state... And um, because of these local wars were expensive and risky, states like Florence were in a constant state of economic crisis. The expenditure of paying contractors to fight was twice as much as the state was bringing in in tax revenue from its citizens. And something needed to be done, and it was urgent. So how could a city-state raise money to pay for a contract army when the cost was twice as much as it could raise from taxation? Well, if you take a look at the Florentine city ledgers, between 1301 and 1330, you'll find the answer, and that is debt. In less than 30 years, the amount of debt recorded in Florence rose from 50,000 florins to over 5 million florins. So where did this money come from? Well, as well as taxing its citizens, Florentines were required to pay a new enforced loan. They were obliged to lend money to their own government. From now on, instead of raising money in direct taxation, Governments could issue IOUs, which, unlike a tax, paid interest back to the citizens who lent the government the money. Now, what made these loans different was, as well as receiving interest, citizens could sell their loans to other citizens because the loans themselves were treated like liquid assets. So if you needed to raise money quickly, you could sell your loan to somebody else. Another person could then receive your interest because they own the loan, but the key is the government would keep the money. Now, this simple idea changed the way money works worked forever because the Florentines had invented the bond market and these enforced loans were the first ever government bonds. 
Now, Florence in the 14th century financed wars and protected its citizens by turning them into its biggest investors. The art, the patronage, the culture and enlightenment of the Renaissance came second. Before high creative thinking came high creative finance. It changed the world forever. And while on the surface, Florentine government bonds looked like uh, the solution to the problem of raising money forever, these city-states discovered that there was a limit to the number of bonds that could be issued. As the, as the Italian states waged war using bonds to fund the conflicts, it raised their money from its citizens. But as more bonds were issued, the lower the uh, face value of these bonds became. And the city-states of the Italian Renaissance had hit upon a big problem and that is supply and demand. By the early 16th century, the city of Venice had a debt crisis because of a period of military weaknesses. And as the danger to the Venetian state increased, the more investors demanded to be paid to hold the bonds. And the key investment advantage with bonds is that the interest is paid on the face value of the bond, which is not necessarily the price you pay for it. So if the state is at war, then the risk to that state increases. And as the risk increases, the likelihood of the state surviving to pay you back decreases. And as the risk of payback decreases, the tradable value of the bond decreases too, pushing the payable yield on the bond up. And if you think this can't happen in modern times, think of the, Greek, the recent Greek crisis. Now, because of a crisis, the Venetian bonds were trading at less than 10% of their face value. And this meant that the yield on the face value of the bond given, say, you only pay 10% of the value, can be as much as 50% or higher. And the key to understanding bonds is this. The market sets the price you pay for the bond. Bonds are the price you pay for risk, hence the term risk markets as another name for the bond market. As the risk of holding a bond goes up, so does the yield as the price of the bond falls because of the increased risk. If the state has to pay a higher rate on newly issued bonds, then this cost is transferred to all the other borrowers too. And this is how the bond market and bond prices influence interest rates. And that is exactly the system that works today. Now, like the Italian states of the early 14th century, the 21st century has a global problem too. Thanks in part to 20th century inventions like central banking and fixed fractional reserve banking and the decoupling of fiat currency from the gold standard, which has allowed unlimited creation of money out of nothing. And because of all this, the world is now swimming in debt. And again, you might be wondering, what has trillions of dollars of debt got to do with cryptocurrencies? The invention of the bond market changed finance forever. Today, the bond market dwarfs the stock market in size and is the mechanism that sets global interest rates for everybody. So let's talk about money flow. In Wall Street, uh, Gordon Gecko lectured the audience on the perils of WMDs, weapons of financial mass destruction, calling the audience whose average age was in their early 20s to early 30s, the ninja generation. No income, no job, and no assets. As the generation that created this multi-trillion dollar debt mountain begins to retire, who is left to, to pay back the debt? How can you pay down 22 trillion of national debt? And today with more debt than ever, the younger generation is going to have to figure out a way to get out of this crisis. Last week, the speakers at the blockchain event met in New York City, discussing, um, amongst other things, the usual debates on 
DEX distributed light exchanges and the scaling of Bitcoin with the Lightning Network and the future of STOs or securitized uh, token offerings, stablecoins and DeFi, decentralized finance. At Blockchain Week, many presentations on the potential drivers of the cryptocurrency markets were given. For example, one target market is the video game industry, where around 60% of gamers have already proved that a market exists for the buying and selling of virtual assets, things like custom outfits for your game avatar, yours for only $500. And the video skin industry is a multi-billion dollar per year market. It's niche, and it shows that there is a market willing to pay for virtual assets. Traditionally, wealth has been maintained, passed down through centuries, using three big asset classes, and they are gold, land, and art. In previous articles, we've discussed the hype cycle. And if December 2018 was the bottom of the cryptocurrency market, the bottom of the trough of disillusionment, what is going to drive the cryptocurrency market and blockchains up the slope of enlightenment over the next decade? Is it more likely to be a niche product for a growing industry or is it more likely to be something like the invention of banking, the bond market, and the stock market? A totally new paradigm that will change, like the Florentine bonds of the 14th century, the world of finance forever. What if, for example, the use of physical money is ended, replaced instead with a blockchain-driven digital currency, allowing governments to track with near 100% efficiency the flow of money in the economy and the collection of income via taxation? allowing for more accurate control of inflation, replacing the animal-driven emotions of profit and loss in the bond markets with AI-driven systems. One way to reduce the amount of global debt is through inflation. In the Wonder Wall series, we talked about how the United States and China import and export inflation and deflation between each other. Perhaps the Trump trade war is about generating inflation inside the US economy, economy causing higher prices for goods, which will be passed on in the end to the US consumer. As bond prices in, in Germany are negative in some parts of the yield curve, higher levels of debt will not be reduced by inflation, but instead they'll be magnified. With debt levels at record highs, the likelihood of a massive shakeup of the financial system increases. Companies like Microsoft have expressed an interest in using blockchains as a mechanism to improve user identity and security. In other words, to improve control and security over their user base. Among the sponsors of the May 2019 blockchain event are IBM, Microsoft and Amazon. Big money has arrived. And as the stock market hit all-time highs in April 2019, fueled by cheap debt caused by high bond prices as money flow searched for yield, consumers own higher levels of debt than ever before and the likelihood of a Six Sigma event in the financial markets increases. Out of a future crisis, will blockchain technology emerge like banking, bonds and stocks as the fourth great invention of finance? This is John Jameson for altcoinsidekick.com and I'll see you next time. This is John Jameson. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and you've got a lot out of it. Don't forget to rate us on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. Your review will help spread the word and allow us to create more thought-provoking content for you, covering all things crypto, not just the individual coins and tokens, but the societal trends and motivations behind the rollout of blockchain technology. 
The internet is being re-engineered and not one in a hundred thousand realizes it's happening. Welcome to the revolution.